Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Katrina Blowers. It is Friday, September 10. You have now officially made it to the end of the week. Well done. Mm-hmm. Also a very special date today because it is Antoinette Latoupe's birthday. Happy birthday, Antoinette. Oh, thanks so much. I love birthdays. But I, you know, I won't give you too much detail as to why I do. But very quickly, I'm one of seven <laughs> children and the only time I really got attention as the fifth was on my birthday. <laughs> So I love birthdays. Oh, my gosh. I Well, I'm happy that we're able to give you attention, Thank all you. the attention, all by yourself today on The Briefing. Now, on this morning's briefing, we have a really special interview to mark the 20th anniversary this weekend of the September 11 terror attacks in the US. It's actually with a former colleague of mine. And believe it or not, I've never actually had this chat with him in this amount of detail about him losing his mum. She was one of the passengers on one of the planes that crashed into the Pentagon. The more I talk about it, the more it seems to help other people. And um, I think that's probably something that my mother would have done. A really special and also uplifting chat with Aussie comedian Simon Kennedy, who joins us for today's briefing topic. And if you listen every day, please take part in the briefing quiz on Instagram and see if you can smash me and Antoinette. Believe it or not, (laughs) even though I have been doing this show every day, I still get some of those questions wrong. Uh, This is up on our stories on our Instagram feed. It comes about lunchtime on Fridays and it is a lot of fun. So all you need to do is listen to the headlines each day and then you can challenge your friends or or even challenge me, which is not going to be that hard for you. Let's dive into those headlines of the day right now. The New South Wales government has revealed the state's path out of lockdown, but only for people who've been fully vaccinated. Only they will be able to enjoy the new freedoms. You have been warned. If you're not vaccinated, come forward and get the vaccine. Otherwise, you won't be able to participate in the many freedoms that people have at 70% vaccination. So that's the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian speaking there. What was the mood, Antoinette, when that was announced? For most people, it was, you know, jubilation and excitement. There is so much fatigue over extended lockdown and the pandemic in general. But I had this really interesting phone call with a quite a good friend of mine who's chosen not to be vaccinated, saying, well, what does that mean for me? Does that mean I'll never be able to go to a theatre again? And does that mean mm. I'll never, ever be able to go to a restaurant? What does it mean for someone like me? And I, I was just, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But right now I'm keen to get to a hairdresser, so I don't care that much. Yeah, it, it, it does call for, you know, We'll probably be having that conversation in a few months' time because I I doubt 20% of the population will just never be allowed into a shopping centre again. So what do we know? Well, this is what we know so far, that hospitality venues, shops and gyms will be allowed to reopen Again, only for people who are fully vaccinated. So we also heard that people who've received both jabs of a vaccine will be able to go to sporting events, zoos and theatres, while masks will still be mandatory in all public indoor spaces. We don't have an exact date yet, but the plan will come into effect the Monday after the state sees 70% of people aged 16 and over fully vaccinated. And that's expected to happen by around October 18. But the Chief Health Officer, Dr Kerry Chant, said restrictions may return to local areas that see a spike in case numbers. This is all contingent on us getting case numbers down 
we can have the opportunity to actually do things locally that may respond to outbreaks. And parts of regional New South Wales will be the first to test the plan when they emerge from lockdown at midnight tonight. Scott Morrison has defended the government's handling of negotiations with Pfizer, saying the company was always going to prioritise vaccines for other countries. It was very clear from those discussions that the focus was not on Australia. The focus was on where people were dying in their thousands, tens of thousands, in the Northern Hemisphere. New emails this week revealed the government knocked back a request by Pfizer to meet with the health minister to discuss its vaccine in June last year. Yeah, so the PM has really had to uh, go on the front foot over this. Uh, He says the government had already been negotiating with the company but wasn't going to get quick access to the jab, so instead they were focusing on local production of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And it just gets more saucy. It comes as the government has also come under fire after British media revealed Australia had requested references to limiting global warming be left out of the document detailing its free trade deal with the UK. We could be up for a new defence arrangement. Australia looks set to strengthen its military ties with Indonesia and France. Ministers held face-to-face meetings with Indonesian officials in Jakarta yesterday with both countries agreeing to work together to train troops and fight terrorism. So this deal could see joint military exercises with Indonesia on Australian soil and Indonesian cadets also attending Australian academies. Meanwhile, Nine Newspapers is reporting Australian and French military forces may be allowed to access each other's bases in negotiations for the next stage of Australia's submarine program. Australia's first cricket test match against Afghanistan looks set to be cancelled after Afghanistan's new Taliban rulers suggested they would not allow women to play the sport. Oh, this story gets me so angry. Taliban officials told SBS this week it would be unlikely women would be allowed to play cricket under the new regime, saying it wasn't, to quote necessary for them to do so. Yeah, but seemingly necessary for men. Uh, I wonder what the definition of necessary is here. Uh, Afghanistan's men's team was set to take on Australia in a test match in Hobart in November. Cricket Australia says it's dedicated to the global growth of women's cricket and they won't allow the men's match to go ahead unless the Taliban change their stance. So good on you, Cricket Australia, and I hope they don't, you know, they don't change their mind on that. New Zealand PM Jacinda Ardern has given a rap over the knuckles to hospital patients and visitors accused of having sex in wards as the country battles a Delta COVID outbreak. I would say generally, regardless of the COVID status, that kind of thing shouldn't generally be part of visiting hours, I would have thought. (laughs) Come on, people, keep it together, keep it clean. Uh, Ardern made the comments after she was asked whether reports a patient and visitor had had, quote-unquote, sexual relations at an Auckland hospital constituted high-risk behaviour under New Zealand's COVID rules. Now, Auckland has been in lockdown since last month after new local Delta cases were recorded in the city. And look, I don't know about you, Katrina, but that's certainly a new angle for us journos. We feel like we've been covering this (laughs) pandemic over, you know, the last 18 months. It's kind of the same story again. At least this gives us something new and fresh to work with. A bit of light (laughs) relief, which is much needed in that space. All right, coming up next, we have a beautiful interview with the son of a woman who was on a plane that crashed into the Pentagon. Can you believe it? 20 years ago this weekend.
Airlines emergency line, please state your emergency. Hey, this is Nitty American Airlines calling. I am monitoring a call in which flight 11, the flight attendant is advising our reps that the pilot, everyone's been stabbed. And uh, Washington, this is go for 06. Sky? That audio, even listening to it today, Katrina, is just so hard to fathom. Tomorrow in Australia, we mark 20 years since the 9-11 attacks, which in itself is so hard to believe that it's been that long because I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I Absolutely. saw that confronting image. I know. I initially thought that uh, I was listening to an excerpt from a Hollywood film. It just mm. seemed so impossible to mm. believe that it was real, that unthinkable news of passenger planes hitting the Twin Towers in New York and then another being flown into the Pentagon. At a global level, that moment really marked a collective loss of innocence. It reshaped foreign policy for years to come. But for our next guest, it had a really deep personal resonance. Yeah, so I was working with comedian Simon Kennedy at Nova in Sydney and all the staff were called together later that day and we were told that one of our own had lost their mum in the terror attack. So Simon's mum, Yvonne, was on American Airlines Flight 77, the one that went into the Pentagon. We were all such a tight-knit team and it was mm. honestly so devastating to learn that an event which had seemed so surreal and so far away had deeply impacted on one of our own. Simon is a performer, broadcaster, voiceover artist and a corporate entertainer. And he recently travelled to Guantanamo Bay to look his mother's murderer and one of the conspirators Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in the eye. So Simon joins us on the briefing now. He's sitting in a park in the sunshine in Sydney. That footage of the planes going into the buildings still make me gasp and it's arguably some of the most disturbing yet widely viewed terrorism footage. Does it still have the same impact on you? I avoid it generally at all costs. I've made a a very good skill out of um, flicking the remote control very instantly when I get a feeling they're going to show that stuff. It's upsetting, so I Mm. just avoid it really. I mean, if you think about any other person who who lost a family member, they don't have to uh, worry too much about the risk of uh, of footage around the event sort of being shown on the television um so which makes uh, it a bit unusual for for people like me best avoided is is the simple answer there i'd love you to share with us simon what your mum yvonne was like what kind of person was she and how did she come to be on that plane on that day well yvonne kennedy my mum um was awesome she was 63 she'd uh, brought up two boys by herself Dad passed away when we were, were little, and she did a great job of it. I mean, she lost the love of her life when, when she was only you know, in her early 40s, and it was heartbreaking for her. And uh, I wondered it when, when I was a little if she'd ever get over it, and, and she did. And then she went on to, to build a, an amazing life for herself and, and dedicated herself to others. You know, the Australian Red Cross was uh, her life, um, apart from my brother and myself, and um she was always doing something for someone and that was the kind of person I, I remember her to be. And I mean, in just this week uh, with the anniversary, so many people have come out of the, the woodwork, people, old friends and colleagues who just wanted to call me and tell me how great a person she was and how much they loved her. And that's often that's all they wanted to say. Mm. Um, and that's been really, really lovely. She, she was remarkable. How was she on that plane? Well, 
she was on a, a retirement trip. She'd been working with the Australian Red Cross for over 30 years and decided um, that she was going to do the trip she'd always wanted to do. And uh, that was around the, the US and the Rockies and Canada. And she went on her own because she didn't need anyone else to, to make it happen. She just went for it. And um, on the, the last leg, in a sense, of her trip, and she um, she was in Washington and was due to come home by LA and Hawaii uh, you know, only days later. So she was on Flight 77, American Airlines Flight 77, on her way to Los Angeles and then home again. And you, you speak so beautifully about your mother and uh, it sounds as though the birds in the background agree that she sounded like a, a, a remarkable woman. If, if she was still alive today, what do you think she'd be doing and enjoying? I think she'd still be doing something to help others and probably still involved with the Australian Red Cross, quite frankly. I and mean, she'd be in her early 80s now. I think she'd also be very vocal, um, extremely vocal about the world we're living in and, and, and the way that society's going. Um, she'd, she'd be a vehement promoter of vaccinations, knowing mm-hmm. her. And she'd speak out uh, about things like, uh, I mean, Afghanistan, for instance. You know, she, she'd, be, she'd be very vocal about uh, Australians getting, getting in and, and helping those who were fleeing that situation. And that's the kind of humanitarian she was. You've mentioned Afghanistan, and as we know, it's the 20th anniversary of the US and its allies, including Australia's war there. From your perspective, given the withdrawal, was it worthwhile? You know, do you feel that your mother's death was vindicated? Uh, look, I think Afghanistan may have, in in its short-term early stages, prevented another 9-11, quite possibly. might may well have helped to dismantle networks that were set up to perpetuate what happened long term i don't think there was a long term plan and that was obvious and uh, look at that that unraveled quite disastrously as we can see in the last weeks um whether it vindicated i don't know did it have a function it probably did initially but um there were a lot of things done in the the name of the 911 victims that probably shouldn't have been mm. um iraq for starters that was pretty hard to watch as a family member <laughs> and then have it to, attached to your own grief somehow that was a bit offensive. Um, Afghanistan, I would say, I kind of got why they went in, but the reason they stayed is it's kind of hard to work out. Simon, the 9-11 attacks were, historically speaking, one of the biggest events globally ever, and your mum was one of the, the few Australian victims. How hard was it for you kind of navigating your private grief at the time while still, I guess, um, having to fend off a lot of media interest and, and I guess interest from people around you as well who wanted to talk to you about it? It was a weird time. We were, as a family, trying to grieve the loss of our mother. That's hard at, at any stage for anyone to do. And then to do it when the incident had occurred and was of an interest and fascination to every single person on the planet, that was one of the harder parts of it too. Uh, trying to just grieve privately was difficult. And for me at the time, it was really weird because I wanted that situation where I could just do an, a normal grieving. But I was also living in this world where I I was you know, a young uh, up-and-coming stand-up comic and I was trying to get known for that and I was working mm. in radio as well. So I was surrounded by the world of, of media and um, then I had to navigate the two things and trying to, and I sort of divided myself into uh, private 9-11 Simon and then public 
Simon, who was getting up on stage and saying, look at me. So on one hand, I'm saying, don't look over here. And on the other hand, I'm saying, <laughs> Do look, look over, over here. here. Something I didn't know, Simon, was that just a couple of years ago, you went to Guantanamo Bay detention camp in Cuba and you actually looked into the eyes of one of the men who murdered your mum. What was that like? Well, it was interesting in the sense that I didn't know what I was going to feel when I got there. I didn't know. I was There was a lot of anxiety over, over the trip. I was really worried about what might happen to me. Like, I know I'd done a lot of work over 18 years to be okay, you know, to be all right and, and grow and, and, and be happy. And I thought, what am I going to do? Am I, is this all going to come crashing down now? Is this a dumb idea? So I went over, I went through the US, I went to New York and, and had the, the 18th anniversary in New York. And then went on to Guantanamo Bay and it, it turned out to be quite a rewarding week because I spent it with five other 9-11 family members from the US who, um, and we bonded beautifully. They were lovely, wonderful people who uh, I kind of think of as family now. And we had a great week together. We supported each other and everyone there was at different stages of, of grief and, and repair. Some had a bit of anger in them still and some had a lot. And I stood at the back of the courtroom at Camp Justice, looked through the glass and saw Khalid Sheikh Mohammed walk into the room with the five other accused with him. And I was quite surprised that I actually kind of felt nothing for him. I didn't feel angry because I had decided along the way that I wasn't going to carry hatred. And that was something I knew I needed for me. And I, I think it's better for me and better for the world not to walk around as a ball of rage. And and I guess somehow it must have held up because I stood there and I looked at this bloke who'd you know, given up all hope of a, of a life beyond where he was. And I, I thought, well, I kind of just pity him and I pity them because they've made poor choices that have hurt a lot of people and, and now led to their own lot, which will probably end up with a death sentence, quite oh, frankly. But, um, oh, my gosh, you know, Simon, that's, that's huge. And that so much huge. humanity. So much humanity. It's the only way to go. I mean, really, I mean, I don't see how being full of hatred can be a good way to live. It's just not a great world to live in then. No, I agree. And your voice and perspective is so important and really appreciated as we discuss this tragedy and how it's shaped the world for two decades since. Do you think you'll keep this conversation going or at any point have you sat and considered where you'll draw a line in the sand about, you know, continuing to be public about this? For 10 years, I, I actually pretty much hid this whole truth of mine under a under a blanket, didn't know it, didn't really tell anyone. And the first time I spoke about it was when Osama bin Laden was killed and captured because I, I didn't like the narrative that was being thrown around about the celebratory way it was being handled. And I spoke and I was really kind of taken aback by the response that I got and people who felt that it helped them somehow. And that started me writing. So, you know, I wrote the story of, of my journey as well. Um, and that was another situation where people said thanks for for telling the story it, it's helped me through this and I've gone through this and and then I started doing talks for schools about resilience and recovery and and I guess it's the more I talk about it the more it seems to help other people and um, I think that's probably something that my mother would have done I think if you can help someone uh, it kind of helps you it's a bit selfish in a way because you get a real buzz when people say that mm. that made me happy I'm like, hey, it's good. It's like stand-up, but not as funny. That was stand-up comic, voiceover artist and entertainer Simon Kennedy.
Antoinette, I think for many years, uh, a lot of us who worked with Simon found it tough to have those conversations with him about his mum because, you know, at work he was that super funny guy, you know, on stage, such a h- hilarious comedian. But mm. he also had this shadow side to him of this huge thing that had happened. And um, so it was actually really special for me to have that conversation with him today with you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really heartened to hear that he believes Yvonne, his mother, would want him to continue those conversations and to, and to fight for the things that she believes in. And I think, you know, that sort of purpose is so important and the impact will continue for years to come. Well, that's it for the weekday briefing. Jamila will be in your feed tomorrow morning with the weekend briefing. What you got for us, Jamila? Hey, team. I am pumped this week, everyone, because the weekend briefing is one of the only places that the awesome Rebel Wilson has spoken to to mark the donation she is making of $1 million to Australian Theatre for Young People. She and I got to have a really wide-ranging conversation that covers everything from her legal battle with Bauer Media through to her Instagram year of health journey where she has lost a really massive amount of weight and been both praised and criticised for that. I loved chatting to Rebel and I think this conversation is one of our best. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for that chat uh, between Jam and Rebel. Rebel, she always gives way more than you expect in those kinds of interviews. So that's on the weekend briefing. She'll give a special shout out to, to all the people who make this amazing show happen. Our EP, Dan Mullins, who's always in a great mood every day. News editors, Liam Kennedy, Brooke Loudner, Brooke Young. Our magical wizard editor, Matt Curry, and our social media guru, Emily Lodge. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a great weekend and we'll catch you next week. Listener.